Man, nothing like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing like some holiday jazz to get you in the mood for Christmas. Hey, Christmas season for me ushers in a whole slew of like the feels, the feelings, all the things. Uh, and, and usually it's because of Christmas music. Uh, I want to play a little game with you. It's kind of like the finish that lyric just to show you how good you are at Christmas music because some, some of y'all, you forget every year and then December 1st rolls around and you're like, oh, I did love this song. I did. Okay, uh, so uh, it's the most... Isn't that funny? Just three words could cue that up for you. Uh, have yourself. Yeah. Joy to. I'm dreaming. Last. Christmas, I gave you my heart. Yeah. You're welcome for that one. Uh, that's the earworm that I hate the most. So, so um, wonder, joy, merriment, dreams. It's a season of magic. That's what Christmas, is trying, Christmas music is trying to tell us. Uh, we believe anything is possible at Christmas. I particularly love Christmas music, Christmas movies like Die Hard. I also love Christmas... Sorry, the the debate is raging in the Jacobson family still. But uh, I I love Christmas commercials. I mean, these things haven't learned about inflation yet, but um, that's okay. Uh, I saw a Christmas commercial the other day that, um, you know, uh, a husband and wife, ostensibly, they're walking out in the woods, and um, it's really snowy outside and really pretty, and... um, he, the, the, the man summons a, a puppy, and the puppy comes bounding across. The, have you seen this one? The puppy comes bounding. And, and, and the, his wife t- picks it up and holds it. And then she whistles, and a GMC truck comes around the corner. And he's like, I love this, right? Anything is possible at Christmas. This is what the point of all of our uh, commercialism is. Beyond just those types of things, I, I think there's a longing that we have at Christmas time to connect with the deeper... Uh, sense of what it means to be human. We, we have that lyric, for our souls to sense its worth. The word at Christmas is the word longing. Longing. It's, it's the word that expresses all of the desires that we have. It's a, it's a, it's a season that services the longings of every heart, right? Kids show us naturally what this looks like. Uh, how many days until Christmas? They, they count down using Advent calendars, my kids do, with surprises and chocolates and all these experiences. And the greatest longing for all is for a kid just to finally wake up and have it be Christmas Day. It's, it's the seasonal car trip question of are we there yet? And the answer for a kid to the longing that comes from a parent is, is not yet, it's someday. Is it here yet? No, someday. Someday it's coming. Um, I, as I've gotten older, as you've gotten older, as you've kind of outgrown the childish aspects of Christmas and you've become the, the person who, for, for you, <laughs> Christmas is hectic. Isn't it a frantic season? Am I the only one that's kind of like, hosting family this year and preaching three Christmas Eve services and trying to make sure that I keep my head on straight. Aren't you going a little bit nuts this year? As you've outgrown some of the just anticipation of what it looks like to open up presents and tear into presents, as you've approached Christmas, isn't it true that some of the childlike wonder of Christmas has gone away and instead you've started to find yourself wanting the deeper promises of Christmas to finally come true, these peace on earth, a just order in society, goodwill for goodness sakes, right? 
These are the promises that the arrival of God onto the scene of humanity were promised to bring. These are good desires for us. If you've ever, if you've ever watched the news and felt a sense of deep longing for something to change, if you've ever watched a system steamroll someone or experience the wrong side of a double standard, if you've ever felt a sense of injustice rise up within you, that's a longing for something greater to come, something good to overrule evil. We feel it when we're watching the game and even the booth gets the call wrong. We feel it at the, at the gas pump or in the voting box or whenever our kids come to us with conflicting stories of what happened or who did what. We all long for a better clarity, a better option, a better system, a better world. If you live long enough and sing the same Christmas carols enough times, the honest question of Christmas it becomes not, will the world finally find true peace? But rather, the real question that can haunt our hearts is should we even hope for peace and justice to come at all? I know, that's a really deep question. That's probably a question that you've thought privately, maybe didn't think was on the table for us to even talk about. But I want us to think about that question today. Is it even okay for us to ask God for there to be true justice to rule in this world at all? Or is that just a child's dream? And I'm, I'm, I'm preaching today um, for your hope. I want to grow your hope today. I want to be very clear. I have a position that I want to move you towards, which is one of hopefulness and, and growing in hope today. Not hope so, but a full confidence and assurance that yes, we should be people who long for, desire, and still maintain hope in the fact that God will bring justice to this world. And to do that, I want to move fast, cover a ton of ground, go cover to cover in the Bible today. It's kind of one of those messages where um, as a pastor, I love it because I get to put together the whole story of the Bible for you in like 30 minutes. And um, I want to move quick and, and show you some of the promises of God, some of where these longings that we have for justice come from, and then what God is actually doing about this in the world so that you and I can situate ourselves in the actual story of God. Good plan? Okay, we're gonna move fast. Um, if you've got a Bible, good luck. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you've got a phone, that'll probably be more helpful today. And if you just wanna check with the screen, that's great. Uh, track down these references, go back, read them uh, yourself. The first time that God ever talks about justice in the Bible, First time that God ever makes a promise, a someday promise in the Bible, it is not made to man or woman. It is not made to his created order. It, it is not made to, to something good. It's made to the devil. First time God ever promised anything in the Bible, it was made, it was a promise made towards the devil. Look at Genesis chapter 3 with me. Uh, verse 15 says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her, her, your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is an incredibly important verse in the Bible. If you've never read it before, that's okay. I'm just going to situate it for you. Uh, it's, it's the garden, Adam and Eve. Don't tune out. Every time I say Adam and Eve, someone yawns. Okay, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. I'll be here just for a second. You might know the story. They're deceived by the snake in the garden, tricked into eating the fruit that God said wasn't designed for them. Do you remember the name of the tree that they ate from? It's the tree of the... Knowledge of good and evil. That's really interesting to me because once they ate the thing they desired, the thing that it promised actually became a trap for them. 
They were awakened to the knowledge that they had not done good. They had done evil in crossing God's line. If there was a news reporting agency back in the garden, which there wasn't, there was only two humans. But if there was like, you know, the New York Times or the Garden of Eden Times, this is what the headline would be. Humans commit act of treason against God. And here's the subtitle. Spokesman for heaven, Gabriel, calls this an unprecedented injustice. See, when they eat and their eyes are open, this is the moment that the concept of justice became a conscious thought in the history of humanity. We had not done what was right, and therefore we were guilty of an offense against God. And we knew it. The American judicial system, like many of the systems around the world, is set upon principles of justice where penalties exist for those who act unjustly, even those who obstruct justice. Where do we get this notion from as a people? It comes from this deep, eternal longing that we have in our hearts for good to rule over evil. It comes from the source of the fruit from which we ate, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there is justice in the garden. God is the only one who in this situation acts justly. The snake deceived, the, the woman and the man, they ate and they disobeyed. And God is the only one who acts with perfect justice. He looks at the serpent and he says, um, not only will you slither on the ground all your life and eat my dust. That's where that phrase comes from. I'm not kidding. That's Genesis 3.14. Here's 3.15. <clears throat> you'll be the enemy of her children. And while you'll nip at one of her son's heels, he will crush your head. Here's what the promise is, is that someday, someday a son of Eve will defeat the devil. All of our longings for justice to exist in the world stem from this one someday. Whenever it is that you sense this desire that this is not the way it should be, that, that that's not fair, or why should that happen to that person, or, or, or what's going on with this, that, that all comes back to this promise that we have that someday, a son of Eve will defeat the devil. Someday, deception will end. Someday, justice will win. Someday, evil will die. Now, I wonder if you noticed the, the promise. It's that someday, someone, someday, someone will come. And someday, they will defeat the devil. This is the promise that God makes all the way back in the beginning. And from then on, Genesis records all of these sons who are born, and yet not one of them are able to crush the snake. So God chooses this man named Abraham. He carries a part of this someday promise. It's a unique choice by God because Abraham was super old. His wife was not necessarily what you called um, of childbearing years, and yet God still tells him, no matter, you and your wife are going to have a child. You're not just going to have a child. You're going to have so many children that they'll be called a nation. And God told them that while they would suffer injustice in the world, God would bless them. Though they would be mistreated, God would be their righteousness. You can look at that in like things like Genesis chapter 15. But one day, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they indeed give birth to a son. There's this promise of a son, and the son comes. But he's not the son or not the someone of the Genesis 3.15 promise. His name is Isaac. Isaac has a son. His name is Jacob. And Jacob closes out the book of Genesis. At the end of the story of Genesis, humanity has gone from a garden to being immigrants in Egypt, from, from living 
to dying. And, and, and Jacob on his deathbed looks at all 12 of his sons and he blesses them or he curses them. And to one son in particular, Jacob carries this notion of a someday promise further. He looks at one of his sons, his son's name is Judah. And look at what he says in Genesis chapter 49, verses eight, nine, and 10. Uh, we'll actually just look at, I think, nine and 10 here. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. That's a, um, just for nothing. I mean, that's, a, that's kind of a cool thing. I mean, if, if there was an animal, I'm, Jacobson's are kind of like sloths. Rather be a lion. So just really great. But notice this promise. The scepter, that's the thing that the king would rule with. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come. And the obedience of the nations shall be his. And this is quite a promise. This is quite an incredible, look, that some dead, Someday, a son of Judah will ascend the throne. This is really remarkable because there wasn't even a throne in Israel at the time. And yet the promise came from God to Jacob, Jacob to Judah, that one day one of your offspring will come and will rule. Not just this land, but the entire world will obey you. Someday, a son of Judah will ascend the throne. I um, think now we're starting to piece together a promise. I was watching um, the Chronicles of Narnia this week with my family. Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah. Read the books or something like that? Okay, I know we're like the Harry Potter age, but like, it's okay to read the old stuff. It's really good. And I was, I was, watching, I was watching this movie, and I was struck. I just remembered how much it's baked into the storyline. The, the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve in Narnia, that they were the promised ones, that, that the white witch was, was, was worried about them showing up and ruining all that she had put her stamp upon. That in this storyline, the sons of Adam's and daughters of Eve were instrumental to the freedom and flourishing in Narnia, the vanquishing of the white witch and the lion, Aslan, ruling, causing the obedience of the nations. Why is that storyline so connected to our souls? It's because it's God's storyline. It's a storyline that God has been weaving together from the beginning of time. The chosen one is coming. Um, maybe you're not a Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe type person. That's okay. I got you. Um, Star Wars has a prophecy about Luke Skywalker that he will be the chosen one who will, be, will defeat the Sith and bring order and balance back to the force. Is that not the whole summation of Star Wars in a sentence? Okay, maybe you're more of like a new age person. The Matrix Neo is just a coder who follows a white rabbit down a hole, finds himself that he himself is the chosen one to free humans from the monstrosity of the machines. Epically awesome. Okay, <clears throat> maybe I missed you with all these. Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> one of the greatest, greatest DreamWorks movies. Kung Fu Panda is the story about this chosen one, the dragon warrior who will be able to be appointed and reach the dragon scroll and find the true secret to defeating Tai Ling, right? Have y'all watched Kung Fu Panda? Okay. All of these stories are all so close to what draws us into a deep storyline that we resonate with. Why? 
Why? Because this is the story that God has imprinted upon our hearts to believe in in the first place. The reason that Hollywood goes back time and time and time again to all these prophecies and chosen ones is because there is a prophecy and there is a chosen one in the world. Your soul was designed to resonate with this, to find hope in him. Who is the chosen one is the question of all these movies. And it's the same question in the Bible. The the Old Testament asks the same question. Who is this chosen one? Who is this coming king who will restore and rule all the nations? And centuries pass, and yet the promise of Judah remained alive. The kings would ascend and descend the throne of Judah, but not one of them commanded the obedience of the nations. Even David, the greatest of these kings, he suffered his own and created his own injustices. And yet God raised up a prophet to tell the nation that someday all will be different. The prophet's name was Isaiah. And if you want to spend some time down a Google wormhole, look up Isaiah's prophecies to the nation relating to Jesus. It's crazy. Um, He has dozens of these prophecies, but um, here's the big one about the chosen one that I want to highlight. Isaiah 53 is really great, but here's Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. For to us, a child is born. Kind of interesting. He says, is born. That's a present tense. To us, a son is given. And he switches to future tense. Says the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Watch this. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Someday, someday, a son of David will reign with true justice. You're talking with with where we're going here. Someday a, a son of Eve will come and defeat the devil. Someday a son of Judah will come and ascend the throne. And someday a son of David will reign with absolute justice. There is this focusing of the promise that over the generations and the centuries, God's people hear about this coming chosen one. All of us are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Only some are in the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah all the way down to David. The promise of Judah was that the king would reign over the whole earth, and Isaiah focuses it even more. He's not just going to reign everywhere, he's going to reign also for all time. And it's the scope of this promise that I think brings me hope, brings you hope. Isaiah, speaking in the future, uses the present tense. His words are as good as true. You can talk about them today as if they're happening right now. The government will be on his shoulders, shoulders, which means he's strong enough to rule everywhere. He's omnipotent. That's the big theological word. It means all-powerful. He's omniscient. That means he knows everything. That makes him a wonderful counselor. He's eternal as the everlasting father. He's the promise bringer of peace, is the prince of peace. He's the son of man because he is born. And he's the son of God because he is given. This is what I just did for you is just summarize the entirety of the first half of the Bible. Let me put it into four words for you. First half of the Bible just says this. Some days coming. Someone's coming. Someday. 
All the promises that God has made will come true. Someone will come and fulfill them all. That's the drumbeat behind the Old Testament that just simply says someday, someone. Someday, someone. Someday. And that day is actually what you and I celebrate today. Not on this day, December 11th. We, we celebrate it in this era, in this season. We celebrate it at Christmas. That someday, God would send someone. Luke chapter two says this. This is the New Testament. Luke writes about the story of Jesus. He talked to Mary, who is the one who gave birth in this story. Pretty close eyewitness account. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, which is the region of the people of Judah, to Bethlehem, which is the town of David. Because Joseph belonged to the house in the line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Isn't that funny? The whole world was expecting a child. And while they were there, there's so much in this one, one sentence, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Not just in the gestational period of nine months of a pregnancy. What Luke's talking about is more of the fullness of time. That, that the time had finally come. It's a Genesis 3 type of time. It's a Genesis 49 type of time. It's an Isaiah 9 type of time. The time had finally come. Someday had become today. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. The story of Jesus starts with all of these echoes of the Old Testament where someday someone's coming. And Luke wants us to know that someday, someday, a son of Mary, who's a child of David, who's a child of Judah, who's a child of Eve, someday a son was born. Now I know that's bad grammar, that's bad English, but it's exactly the point, is that Christmas is the time when all of these specific prophecies came true in Jesus. I've only hit, I think, three or four of them for you. There are hundreds of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled as the chosen one. But someday had come. All of these backlogged promises, these repeated promises, these focused promises, they're fulfilled in the coming of Mary's child. He really was born in the line of David, in the city of David, in the line of Judah, in the line of Abraham. And I believe, this is me, I believe having studied his life and lived, try to live like his life, I believe his life was so spectacular that it could only be explained one way. Not that he was deranged, not that he was a good teacher, not that he was a good example. I believe the only way you could explain the life of this baby is simply this, is that he was sent with a purpose and a plan and a power that that is uncommon to the rest of us. In fact, he was only able to say and do what he did because of who he was. Not a son of Mary. Not just a son of David. Not just a son of Judah. Not just a son of Eve. But a son. The son of God. God knew that for justice to come into the world, we would need more than just rules. 
More than teachings, more than examples. Don't we have a ton of rules, teachings, and examples in America, and yet we still have injustice? God knew that um, justice requires satisfaction for wrongs done. What we need is forgiveness. Um, one of the ways that we try and exercise in, uh, justice to injustices today, in our culture, we've, we've dubbed this. We have a name for this. We, we, we have this thing today called cancel culture. Have you heard of cancel culture? Have you been canceled before? <laughs> Someone has, okay. S sorry, figure that out later. The, the cultural example of cancel culture today is, is actually justice, but it's a cheap justice, right? We, we get public satisfaction for shaming, acknowledging, and condemning wrongs done. I'm not here to pick a fight with cancel culture. I, myself, you know, I, I, I don't know another way around how to remove bad actors out of the world except for not listening to them or not giving them power. I would assume that if I was a bad actor, you would cancel me. But our world, in our quest for justice, it's cheap justice because we haven't figured out the second part. How, how do we restore people who have done wrong? We have, we, the American people have no answer for that question. The church in America has no answer for that question what the appropriate, just way is to restore a wrongdoer to good standing in the community. That's why it's cheap justice. We get satisfied for a moment, but then we shame and we, in all, in all essences, we, we condemn the person that we are canceling. We don't have an answer for that, but I want you to know something. Jesus does. He has an answer because he went to the place that you and I never want to go. He waged a war that you and I cannot fight. And he, he defeated the enemy that you and I have no business trifling with. Because he is who he is, he won. <laughs> His death was enough for the injustices of the entire world to be paid because of who he is. His resurrection is the first restoration and forgiveness amongst all who would believe that he is the someone of all of our some days. See, he's the focal point of infinity. <laughs> the eternal ruler, the restorer of justice and righteousness. I want to ask you a few questions before I close. Have you experienced injustice lately? Uh, are you having a hard time knowing who to believe? Are you unsure who is telling you the truth? Have you purchased something recently that fell apart or went bad? Has the quality of your work been overlooked, not because another person produced better, but, just, but because of who you are? Has someone climbed over your back on the corporate ladder? Have you been cheated? Um, <laughs> do you trust what you read online? <laughs> Last but not least, um, have you been on Twitter lately? 
Okay, so um, if Jesus is this great king who defeated sin 2,000 years ago, why is there still injustice in the world today? Isn't that the question? If all of these promises about God are true, if all of the things about Jesus are, are to be fulfilled in his coming at Christmas, why is the world today as if Christmas never happened? Well, um, this is so important. I hope this sinks in for this season. This is one of those moments where Brad told you you can lean back or lean in. I want you to lean in. One of the simplest ways to understand the answer to this question is to be reminded of, of God's plan in Jesus, that it's still unfolding. <clears throat> if I were to take a Bible and show you where Christmas lands, it literally lands right here. Someday, someone's coming. He came. And there's his life and his death, but in these pages here are you and are me until we get all the way to the last book, which has some predictions about the future in which more work by Jesus is still yet to be done. There's a really um, fancy way that theologians talk about this problem. They, they talk about it in terms of um, the inauguration of the kingdom started at Christmas, right? The inauguration. We, we know about that because of the presidents and politics. But, but Christmas is the time where Jesus was inaugurated, that it began. And they, they talk about the end of times as the consummation of all things or the finalization of his rule. We use these three little words to describe all of this, and it's the most frustrating theology, but it's actually accurate. It's the words already, but not yet. That God's work in this world has already been started and is already underway, but it's not yet finished. That, that God has dealt the crushing blow to the head of the snake to, to purchase our forgiveness and our freedom so that you and I can actually believe and hope that someday all things will be found to be just and right and true in this world. But not yet. That there's still a someday that's ahead. The difference is, you and I know the someone of that someday. We're no longer waiting to know who is this one who is the, the, the son of Eve who's going to defeat the snake or the son of Judah who's going to ascend to the throne or the son of David who will rule forever. We know his name is Jesus we know that he came at Christmas to put right all that God had seen broken in this world and he put it back together. We knew that someday he will come and he will finish what he started. The someday promise of someone who would come, it's not the same promise of ultimate justice and peace. We're still awaiting a someday. So all the longings we express at Christmas are met in the one who came at Christmas, but the redemption story of God is not just about Christmas, not just about Easter. It's about the rule and reign of Jesus, which is still yet to be fully realized. It's the someday that's told to us in the end of the story. I want to show you Revelation chapter 5. This is a vision that John, uh, one of the followers of Jesus, he had. He was given, he was a very old man, and uh, God gave him this vision, both of what it looked like to be a, a follower of Jesus in Rome, as well as some things about the end of the world. Um, 
One of the elders said to him, he's, he's standing uh, in the midst of, of this throne room. He says, don't weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. All of Revelation shows us the, 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 the final battle that exists when Jesus comes riding on a white horse to defeat his enemies and to bring about his true rule and reign once and for all. That, that one day, someday, the Lion of Judah will triumph forever. I asked you this question at the beginning of this message. What would he do the longings that we have for true justice to come to this world, that true peace would come to this world? Should we abandon this idea in childish faith or, or should we dig in and double down? And I'm here today to tell you, I believe in this someday promise today. That someday, what God has done in all the pages of history past, what God did in sending himself at Christmas, what God did in dying on the cross and rising from the dead in the person of Jesus. Because he called his shot so long ago, I believe he can be trusted to take it all the way home. Someday, he will triumph forever. Um, when we take communion, which we did today, Paul told the first Jesus followers that we are proclaiming the death of the Lord until he comes again. This idea that Jesus is coming back is not a new idea to Jesus followers. It is actually core to the entire experience of what it means to be an embodied human on this earth after Jesus' ascension into heaven. Jesus told us, I am coming soon. Which means the justice of God. While there are slivers of justice in this world today because of his church, it's not fully what it will be. And that gives me hope. <laughs> the Lion of Judah will rule the world with grace and truth and love. That's justice. That he will bring truth to the world. Let me close with a quick story. Um, I was watching that movie, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe this week with my kids. And um, probably shouldn't have watched it with my kids. Just parenting fail exposed right now. Uh, they did not take to it well. We read the reviews online about what age they should be and we disregarded them. And so we got about 20 minutes in and it was bedtime for them. And so we said, we'll pick it up tomorrow. And they were really bummed because they wanted to watch the rest of it, but we didn't have time. And so um, they go upstairs, they go to bed. About 20 minutes into um, one of our kids being uh, in bed, we thought he was asleep. <clears throat> he comes back downstairs, just bawling, just ugly crying unconsolable, inconsolable. And we go, dude, what's wrong? And totally unlike this kid. He goes, I can't sleep. I'm so freaked out from the movie. <laughs> and I go, the lion movie? Really? And it dawned on me, he only got the first 20 minutes of the movie. He only, he only knows the problems in Narnia. He only knows uh, the, the war that is raging. He only knows the, the difficulty. So I um, tucked him back in my bed and I stood by his bed and I said, listen, buddy, I think if you know the end of the story, it'll help you. So I tell him, I, I'm not gonna ruin it for you and you should go watch it. I tell him the end of the story. 
And I go, buddy, does that help you sleep better? Thinking I'm going to get a yes. He goes, no. I said, will it help you stop crying? He goes, yeah. And eventually he went to sleep. I mean, it took him a while. But I think it's a little bit of a metaphor for you and me living in a day where like we know the end of the story and yet it doesn't help us go to sleep sometimes. We're still affected by the story we're living in. We're still 20 minutes into the movie. We kind of know where this is headed. We know the promises. We know that most of them have been fulfilled, but there's still some outstanding. And that's Christmas for us. <laughs> you, and I, you and I live in this world of in-between of knowing that God has done something about all of the problems of this world and yet has more work that he's going to do. And he gives us slivers of hope. He gives us echoes in our hearts to be able to lean into this great story and know that he's real and he's true. Here's how it worked for me yesterday. Just this is a little like pettiness to prove my point. I have spent a lot of time this fall working on my yard. It looks great. And I noticed my neighbor's leaves had fallen into my yard yesterday. What is that? I'm out there, you know, raking them up yesterday. Angry. Thinking someday someone's coming. This could have put an end to all my neighbor's leaves. That's a really petty example, but it's how it works. You and I have faced much bigger injustices in this life. Poverty, sickness, hunger, disease. Why did this person get sick and not me? Why did this person go? Why did this car accident happen? And the hope that we have at Christmas is that it will not always be like this. And so we hope. We hope for the future, the world that God promised to make right, that someday someone's coming.